Whether it's sunny, cloudy, or windy where you are, take a break from whatever your weather is and join us now for the DC Comics News podcast, episode number 42. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, and I'm joined today by Brad Falecki. How you doing today, Brad? Good, good, good. How you doing? No complaints. It's a little warmer than normal for the uh, Bay Area. So right now we're just adapting to the fact that the majority of us don't have air conditioning. And when it breaks 90, you just open windows, turn on fans, try and get by. We'll we'll make it, you know, but this is kind of our biggest summer period right now. So we've learned to adapt and expect, I guess. (laughs) Um, And I think there's some things that we've come to expect And if you've been listening to the show on a regular basis, you can probably come to expect that we're usually going to have some kind of news about the Suicide Squad. Now, they dropped probably their most important, as far as confirmed news goes, just a few days ago with the announcement of their confirmed final cast. I'm pretty sure this is final. I'll get back to you on that should any other breaks occur along the way. But for the most part, we believe this is the confirmed cast. I'm just going to read off some names really quick, and then we'll just check in. But we've got David Dasmalchian, and I'm going to ruin at least one of these, maybe more. John Cena, Joaquin Cosio, Nathan Fillion, Myling Ng. We've got Flula Borg, Sean Gunn, Juan Diego Bado, Storm Reed, Pete Davidson, Taika Waititi, Alika Braga. Steve Agee, or Agee, Tanashi Kajesi, Daniela Melchior, or Melchior, Peter Capaldi, Julio Ruiz, Jennifer Holland, Michael Rooker, and yes, Idris Elba. That's the confirmed cast. Brad, what's your take now that we've got what's supposed to be the actual people in the movie? I am so happy that it's finally confirmed, because on this podcast, uh, we've certainly had a lot of rumors about casting and it seems like these rumors turned out to be true even though we don't exactly know what characters they're playing i'm sure that announcement's going to be coming soon enough but this cast is like a nerd's dream right now take Watiti, all these names are pretty big in our little nerd world michael Rooker, and we talked a little bit before we started recording but i must have been under a rock because i didn't realize that john cena was uh, rumored to be in it at all so that was kind of a nice little addition for me and i think that the, the returning cast that is returning i think that that's no surprise i think we expected those characters to return and really at this point i don't think anybody's broken hearted that uh, jared leto's name wasn't on that list so uh so that's my take on it seth what about you well um i'm sure that if they are broken hearted we will hear from them somewhere in the social media twitter verse as i think i've heard our good friend mr cj ray refer to it and they'll they'll make themselves <laughs> heard to some degree i am intrigued by the fact that sean gunn is the director right no that's james gunn he is james gunn he's, he's james the gunn's brother, brother. Okay, so for me, that was the fun part was because for a moment I was like, my brain's doing a weird name thing. Am I missing something here? <laughs> uh, are you familiar with Sean Gunn's work in other projects? Is this yes, sort of- he, he played a Ravager in Guardians of the Galaxy. So he's, he's been around in, uh, in James's work before. Interesting. So I'm curious to see how that appearance yeah. will sort of play out for fans, especially with this concept that we've talked about on a few occasions about him carrying a lot of the elements from his previous projects into this one. Also the same respect, different actors from things like Guardians of the Galaxy over here. So uh, I'm curious to see if anyone else along the way is like, wait, 
John, James, which gun is this? How does that work again? And I'm also intrigued by the fact that, yeah, when I saw John Cena's name, it did remind me that at some point there had been a casting announcement of some degree, but I couldn't remember what it was. And then with everything else that's been announced leading up to this, uh, whether it's Taika Waititi or the more recent names, I almost feel like I had forgotten about John Cena. Or maybe like you, we just sort of crawled under that rock reading some great comics and suddenly went, what? What happened? There was a moment in real world, like, you know, news that we totally missed. How's that happen? Which I don't know about you, but it happens to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm also intrigued, though, of the fact that the, uh, the article that this story comes from points out that the 80s font is a direct reference to the idea that they're going to be going with the uh, Ostander run of the Suicide Squad. Do you have any specific response to that sort of concept? Does that ring any bells for you when you hear that reference? You know, I think that it's a classic run, and sadly, I'm not as familiar with it as I should be, uh, but it's one of those runs in my mind that when you think Suicide Squad. So I think that as this movie gets closer, I think that that's definitely one thing I'm going to try to uh, get caught up on. You know, you movies come out like that. There's like re-releases of, of books, so maybe uh, that would be that, that catch up and refresh our memories uh, memories on it. I think you're right. I think that would be a good thing for them to do. I mean, we could probably benefit from it. <laughs> I know yeah. I would. But I also think it would be kind of interesting to just have that in my mind and start trying to look into it, you know, DC Universe app or, you know, wherever I can get a hold of some back copies and maybe just get a sense of, of what sort of feeling he's going for. The last thing I wanted to just mention before we move on was the great little tag that went with this story, which was, don't get too attached, which I thought was a really mm -hmm. interesting and maybe ominous sort of presentation about how we're worried about how all these people are going to fit. But it seems like there could be something like, you know, oh, well, that was in, you know, this version of the Suicide Squad. These guys showed up did some stuff, died, or something else along those ways where it's like, you're just going to get used to a lot of people showing up and a lot of people disappearing. Yeah. Uh, I, I think <laughs> in the end that that might, that might work because this cast is huge. So, you know, maybe it'll be one of those things where they're not in it for very long, but they do get to have a good line or like a memorable scene. Uh, and I think that James Gunn could definitely pull that off. I think he's got that kind of talent about him. So, yeah, I, I'm not expecting all these characters to make it out alive. That's they're not called. It's not called the Suicide Squad or nothing. So yeah, the concept I'm sure is there's going to be some casualties. Make it. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm not going to be too surprised either. I am intrigued though, just by how many people are in it, and and how much this reminds me of when I was a kid and I first stumbled upon like the Dirty Dozen movies. And uh, I think my dad was a, I think I watched the re return or the sequel and my dad had been sort of making a point like, yeah, you should see the original, you know? And I'm like, so what's the point? He's like, it's, you know, they're prisoners and it's a suicide mission. And I was like, wow, that sounds pretty ominous. And that's always been the sort of reference I've had whenever it came to the suicide squad concept, like, Hey, you've got really nothing going for you. Here's a chance to maybe do something in your behalf because, what else are you going to do except sit here and <laughs> suffer yeah. through? Well, I'm intrigued that we've still got this time leading up to it, and I'm interested to see how much we both end up doing about that Ostender run and the fact that we've got until August 6, 2021. Man, until the movie comes 
I just wish that I didn't have to go to a job and I didn't have to sleep. So I could just have so much more that's out there that I kind of want to uh, to watch or read, you know, and that's just one of those things. It's like, that's another thing I got to put on my ever growing list for sure. <laughs> it's just I, impossible these days to keep up. It's really hard. Now, one of those things that I think segues nicely is the fact, too, We've got a little bit of time since 2021 isn't exactly coming up, you know, within the next six months. We've almost got a year and a half before that actually pop, actually almost closer to two years now. So we've got a little bit of time. So that's in our favor. However, if you're looking to guarantee your seat for opening night, opening weekend or any of the early response and viewing opportunities for the upcoming Joker film, boy, that window might be closing. According to this news story that we just got the chance to peek at, Joker box office predictions are so large that it could be a record breaker with the biggest October opening ever. Uh, so much anticipation about this movie. This story is a surprise for you, Brad. And overall, what was your take on uh, this sort of projection for Joker? It wouldn't surprise me at all because this this film has such a positive buzz about it. Uh, fans are dying to see it. Uh, critics love it. Now, I've seen this trailer, you know, I go to a lot of movies. And I've seen this trailer in front of a lot of different movies. And every time it gets a reaction from the people, no matter what type of movie it is played before, it still gets a reaction out of people. So I definitely think that this could definitely break some records. And it's kind of funny that they that the record holder right now is Venom. Because Venom was poison <laughs> to critics when it came out. And I think that may have pushed some people away from it. Um, personally, you know, I can go on and on and on and, and about things that I love on this podcast. And generally, I'm more positive than negative about things. But I was not a fan of the Venom movie. And I think a lot of people felt the same way. And I think that the positive buzz that Joker has will take that over the top. Because I think what's going to happen is that's going to bring people back into the theaters to see it second, third time, if it's as good as everybody's saying it is. So, you know, in a nutshell, I would not be surprised at all if this shatters October records. What do you think? I agree. I see that, you know, the comparison that they're they're using it to measure it against Venom. It was not a film that I enjoyed. I'm surprised that it made as much as 80 million. I really struggled with that project. And I agree. It's it's generally, you know, something I like to try and like find the best side of. But that that was a project that made it really hard to find a best side. And it looks like the other competition would be Halloween, which was a good movie, but I don't think it has the same sort of buzz and excitement that Joker does. There's simply so much going on about this, from the early announcements in the film festivals to announcements like this about the projections that seem to keep... It's almost like we're hearing about a tsunami, and every report is about how it's getting closer and getting bigger. <laughs> yeah. And I just keep laughing about that because I'm thinking to myself, like, OK, at some point it's going to hit and we're going to find out how big. But along the way, we just keep getting these warnings that it's getting bigger and bigger as it gets closer. And we really won't know what to expect until the day hits and it finally arrives. But these sort of like little hints just sort of build that anticipation that what we're going to see is potentially 
you know, like so many other projects that have recently been coming out where they say this changes the way people approach projects. Afterwards, we're going to see a lot of people going, huh, I wonder what we should do in response to this. And that's got to be the best sort of recognition any project can get. We're going to slide right out of the movie news and into some upcoming TV news. And interestingly, I feel both of these stories tie nicely together and got to credit our editor, Josh, for setting that up for us. The first one is a recent commercial teaser trailer that features The Flash and some hints towards the Crisis on Infinite Earths. This isn't the first time we've had a story about Crisis on Infinite Earths, but this is, if I remember correctly, and if I'm going through just what we've covered, the first time we've had a story that features some imagery that actually references the upcoming event. What do you think about this? And Brad, am I correct on that? Uh, Yeah, it did. It did. Um, And it's one of those things, every time I see more news, uh, I get excited, more excited for it. What they're going to put into this just seems amazing to me uh, between all the different characters. And I love that we're getting our first hint of what's to come with, uh, with the flash saying, oh, forget the words he said, but oh, so many people die or something like that. And that that really intrigues me. And that feels like something very similar to uh, to the comics. So I'm really excited for this. And really, I'm going to go back to what I said before about wishing I had more time to catch up on all the things that I want to. Because all uh, seeing all these tidbits and rumors and now this commercial, I wish I had time to catch up on all the CW shows. Uh, to be right there at that moment, and I'm probably not going to have time to do that, but I'm definitely going to watch this as it plays out over the, the, the all the episodes. What do you think? I'm really hoping I can keep up as this series gets closer, as this final crossover begins to build, so I can get that sense from all of the shows how they're working their way towards it, because clearly Flash is making a really direct approach. It's It's building so much of what is coming for the rest of the show towards this event will be part of that that big change. I guess I'm also just really intrigued by the fact that as we keep hearing more information about stuff like this, it, it seems as though there's almost no stone unturned. There's almost no possibility that shouldn't be ruled out. Uh, and that's really interesting because I keep yes. thinking to myself like, wow, so given everything we've heard till now, How much more can we expect and, you know, consider experiencing? And also, how close to the original material are they going to hew? Because after Crisis on Infinite Earths, we went to one Earth, everyone's timeline, you know, being merged together and only some sticking and some disappearing forever. We could really experience some, you know, profound impacts because it, it, it was a long time after that until we had a multiverse again. And the concept of of making that sort of shattering change, I mean, you have to go back to those late 80s books and the response they had to this series in 85 and and what that meant. Uh, I really think we're only sort of getting the taste of it, but you really touched on something, which is just how many characters we could potentially be losing. Uh, I think you touched on something, too, because it's kind of interesting talking to you, because sometimes you help me clarify thoughts in my head. And one thing that's getting me excited is, like you said, they've, there's no stone left unturned. Um, whether it's characters 
characters from the CW shows overall or the characters that different actors have played in the past and things like that. How they're all weaving that together is really is really kind of fun. And as far as how much it's going to hit on the source material, uh, I think that there's certain beats it's going to have to hit. I don't know. You know, it's not going to obviously it's not going to be a direct adaptation, but I think there are certain beats of the story that it has to hit. Now, I don't want, you know, spoiler alert, but if you haven't read Infinite Crisis yet, I mean, it's been out since the 80s, so you should have read it by now. But two important characters that are very also important to the CWI in Crisis. So well, I'm curious how they're going to play that off, if they're going to do that in some, in, in some way. Uh, so... So we'll see. Yeah, that's actually where I feel like the biggest crux is going to come, because while that's a sort of known thing uh, for anyone who's read Crisis on Infinite Earths, what's also known is that Arrow sort of is the unknown variable in that equation. Right. Actually, what we've come to see since the end of last season is both Arrow, uh, both Oliver and Felicity have become unknown variables and quantities in that story i'm actually intrigued because right now as i'm thinking about this it just triggered in my brain that wow that's amazing okay i'm gonna sound like i'm really just having a moment here but i just realized one in order for that you know change to occur and for certain cw characters to not die not only is there the possibility that we've got, you know, Oliver Felicity making a sacrifice in order to prevent that from occurring, knowing that their show is ending, but also this idea that just popped into my head, which is, you know, in order to coordinate everything, the monitor relied on a harbinger. And there's no character like that in comics, but a blonde Felicity who's got all of that tech savvy could be a really interesting fill in for a harbinger like character. Right. Yeah, because I, I, that's a character I always wondered how they were going to um, to to weave into the story, how they're going to bring that character in, because Harbinger's a very important character over the course of the crisis to introduce the character somehow, and that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, I think that would be a great way to do it. I mean, she's already done that sort of Overwatch character, so her ability to be a central figure during all of these complex elements that are occurring on real time that that was essentially what the concept of harbinger was except she could divide herself into multiple versions or you know essentially like clones or different entities of herself to go out and perform actions in real time at the same time what we can do is replace that with you know, a techno response a technology version through her but still it's going to create that opportunity for a change to that original source material which is cw characters who we know have shows that are potentially going to continue after Crisis on Infinite Earths, but who in the comics face some really tragic endings and only a, a variable like Oliver or Felicity can make the difference in, in that actually happening or taking on a, a different path. So I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how they're going to pull so much of this in. And then when it comes to intriguing and the Crisis on Infinite Earths is the fact that now we've got this story saying that it's going to bring in potentially ramifications for the black lightning universe which so far has been somewhat removed from most of the cw main universe if not completely and then also there's discussion about the outsiders which for me really you know raises the specter for some really exciting 
things to be happening in, in Black Lightning. I like the idea of taking on both of these things. And also the fact that the Markovians are going to play a bigger role. What was your take on this announcement that sort of extends the Crisis on Infinite Earths into the Black Lightning universe? I think that the you know Black Lightning's had two seasons now to um, stand on its own, develop itself to to get to that point where the characters are developed enough that maybe they can now uh, cross over and be part of that. So that's kind of fun that that can happen uh, because when the show originally came out, they made a pretty strong point to say that this is not part of the Arrowverse. But neither was Supergirl. So the fact that they can still cross over, I think Black Lightning's such a fun character, and this this version of the character is is very good. And I think he'll fit in pretty well. And as far as the outsiders, I think I think it makes sense because every kind of every season you want to expand and bring in more characters, and the outsiders is a, is a great pool to gather from. So you know I I'm psyched for the third season and. That's one show that I do keep up with because I actually review it for the website. So I kind of like that that could be happening. And they said it might not happen this season, but maybe season four, season five, like that. And I like that they are kind of looking that far ahead as well to see where the show can go. Uh, what do you think about that? I, I think it's a great development. I was really excited, and I believe it was mostly in last season that they began to reference the Markovians and the idea of them being players on a scene and how now Freeland had become sort of recognized internationally because of, and if for anyone who hasn't been keeping up, essentially what we're talking about here and why it would be Markovia is that the concept is that in Freeland, citizens were captured as many as 30 years ago and experimented on and given um, some sort of solution that enhanced them so that they would exhibit meta powers or superpowers. Some of them have control, some don't, and many were cryo locked away and kept hidden and are now resurfacing, as well as the sort of knowledge that what was used to create them is something that might be available on the market. Apparently, this brings Markovia in because Markovia has been on the market for superpowered beings. Now you review the show, so Brad, how am I doing on a rough synopsis summary? There? Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Okay, so I've really sure. enjoyed. It. I've watched it, Black Lightning it. since the first episode. I've been a huge fan of the show. I really love what they've been doing, and it was really difficult when um, a couple of friends I have who you know really like the show as well would raise an interesting question that not, none of us could answer, and really created some just curiosity and speculation sometimes positive sometimes negative which was this is a pretty good show that's proven itself so far why is it not part of the bigger universe is that intentional or not but i thought you did a really nice job of pointing out that these past two seasons have really given the show a chance to stand on its own and that in doing so its identity is strong enough that to do these crossovers there's enough elements that are understood for regular fans and can be introduced to new fans during the crossover that would make that seem like a more likely thing to occur or maybe make more sense now that it's kind of at the stage that it is. Yeah, I think I think that a lot of the core of the Black Lightning show is the family dynamic. And I think that that needed to be focused on because it's such a strong part of the show. And that's kind of one of the things that draws me into it. Cluttering it with a lot of, you know, bringing in more Arrowverse stuff, I think, would kind of muddy the waters too much. So, but now I think it's gotten to that point 
where these characters are established and now we can now we can bring in other things i agree and in many ways the first season seemed to be about getting black lightning back on his feet after what had been a hiatus mm-hmm. and then the second season dealt a lot with the understanding that his children now had these powers and needed some guidance and also some understanding as they set on their own path and that as long as the family dynamic was able to, you know, remain a strong unit, that they could then start branching out and having those characters have their own adventures, which, I mean, both Thunder and Lightning ended up becoming parts of, wait, Thunder and Lightning, Thunder and, who are the two? Holy, yeah, am I yep. right? Okay, I had a momentary pause where I was like, am I right on that? Uh, with Thunder and Lightning, you know, playing important roles in numerous teams, and having great interactions with other elements in the DC universe. So I like that, you know, you've, you've really sort of pointed something important there because it looks like that same recognition is happening for this next season. The idea of the Markovians, the idea of also how that can bring in characters like Breon, who is, a you know, a, a part of the cast of The Outsiders, and also how that can also bring in other characters and sort of begin expanding maybe the, the Black Lightning corner and also international sort of relationship that it has within the dc universe as connected in whatever ways it is with the arrowverse so this should be this should be some pretty interesting stuff markovia for me just meant at some point we were going to have brio i didn't know how it was going to happen but we were going to get terror geoforce or something like in my brain i was just like markovia stuff's happening and i also feel like it's an interesting thing to sort of connect to what we've seen a lot of in the uh young justice series um you know they they've really made a point of how markovia is this really interesting uh country and how so many of the things that are timely are actually played out as far as an international environment through markovia so that should make that really helpful for uh yeah for this uh for this upcoming season And we've got one last streaming TV story before we take a quick ad break. And that's a new trailer for The Watchmen that appears to explain why people wear costumes. Was that your take or was there more to this trailer than just that possibility, Brad? Well, to me, I we talked a little bit about this before we start recording. But um, the thing that stood out to me about this is just how they're bringing in elements of the comic into the show. Uh, Night Owl shit, hinting at Dr. Manhattan and things like that. And I love that because they said, it's you know, obviously it's not going to be a direct uh, adaptation of the story, but it's going to kind of be a reflection of that world. So I didn't really expect those references so much. So the fact that I'm seeing those really makes me excited. And uh, I, I think that these new characters seem interesting, too. Um, it, it's one of those things that I kind of want to be surprised by because – I am such a fan of the source material. I don't. I, I kind of want. It's one of those things where I want to be spoiler-free going into it and kind of let it show itself to me uh, through the first episodes. So I, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited that those references are in there. Every time that I'll see um, a character mentioned or a character pop up, I'll be super excited. Any little Easter egg I get, super exciting to me. And Watchmen is one of the few books that I always find myself rereading every few years or so. And this will probably make me want to do that. I hope that it somehow involves uh, Rorschach Journal 
because that was one of the wild cards at the end of the book was this journal is going to be published and that's just going to blow the lid off of everything that happened. So hopefully we'll see the after effects of that in the show. Uh, what did you think? I really thought this was an interesting way to suddenly start bringing so many of those elements from the book that I really hadn't seen up until this point into what we're now seeing in these trailers. It felt like so many of the early trailers felt like they were really trying to distance themselves from that material. Like this was a whole new world, a whole other uh, thing that needed to be entered into. And whether it was the officers wearing the yellow mask, who I think based on this trailer are now the cavalry and this sort of um, vigilante branch of police officers who are acting in response to an attack by figures in masks. And also how there are there were only like little rep sort of references through uh, blips, like the idea of there being a group of people wearing the Rorschach masks. And those had been previously sort of hinted at. But now we're getting to see more, like you pointed out, with the uh, the Alman vehicle. And also uh, now in these last two trailers, uh, a version of Adrian Vate. Vate? Am I saying that right? I'm never That's, quite sure. Um, well, I always said it in my mind. <laughs> yeah, with the EIDT. For some reason, it just seems like that. It's like Vate. Um, and getting to see more of Jeremy Irons portraying him. And, and that sort of feeling that this is what's happening on the surface, and yet he's in the background, like we saw him so much in the original uh, series and, and collection, behind the scenes, pulling the the strings and sort of just doing that, the master moving the marionettes across the, uh, the stage and all of the figures and all of the players. And I, I think now that we're starting to see more of those classic elements that we can associate with, it's like, okay... They're going to show us that whatever this world is, a lot of those things haven't been prominent or featured. And now, once we've gotten enough of this world sort of going, that uh, those things will start to pop up and they'll create even more sort of reaction and distraction and development. But right now, what I really got from this trailer was the idea that we've been talking about one of the characters, the main sort of focus of this story and how she's a police officer who was attacked and started wearing a mask to protect her family. And yet the concept is, especially teased with this trailer, is the idea of why people wear masks, and that the the thing that's raised by this sort of government officer looking into her is that people who wear masks are responding to a trauma, and that their response to that trauma is to put on a mask to re-empower themselves and then to take action through that response. That's definitely in line with a lot of what drives superheroes in superhero fiction. So that's definitely, I mean, look at Batman. He's reacting to a trauma. A lot of these characters do react to traumas. And I think that's a really smart sort of psychological approach, right? Yeah, yeah, yep, absolutely. So now, though, what's interesting is that it seems to be suggesting that while her intention and purpose was noble that she's being shown not only by the sort of investigation by that officer, but other players who hopefully will become more known as the series continues, that this cavalry is actually acting uh, similarly to Vate on two different stages, one in the very present and also behind the scenes with something much more nefarious, and that she joined them with one intention, but now, because of a greater, more nobler cause, 
will end up sort of, it looks like, being a double agent, which is a bit of a twist that I wasn't quite expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny, when I watched it, I thought, oh, yeah, I want to talk about that. Yeah, you brought that back up in my mind. Yeah, the, the double agent thing is, is a very interesting angle to see how that plays out. Yeah, especially because in many ways, of, uh, the season. Yeah, it's like she would have already been a double agent in some ways by being a member of the police force and then a member of this vigilante group, but now becoming an additional double agent because she's investigating that group on the behalf of some other group who still feels unnamed, which I think is one of those things that really sort of echoes the tone of Watchmen, the idea of the mysteries within the mysteries and the hidden secrets that also make the mysteries more complex and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so much more deeply affecting. But overall, yeah, I thought there were some great moments in this trailer like that, that that helped to inform more about what this story is going to be and that they haven't, despite earlier sort of maybe suggestions, they haven't forgotten that source material. And it does pop up just maybe not right away and maybe not as prominently as we might have thought this series would would reflect. So I guess we'll have to uh, see just how much of it continues to reveal itself as we get closer I'm really intrigued by the fact that we're finally getting a little bit more of an understanding of what things are going on and and sort of where the development of the story is looking to take us. That was our last bit on the TV and streaming news. So we're going to take a quick ad break and allow you to gather a little information about the comings and goings on here at DC Comics News, events, things we're connected to, things you can look forward to. And just things you should generally be aware of. It's a short break. We'll be right back for an impressive list of comics and a few other stories that will, well, we're going to have to hear your response to know exactly how you feel about it. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be right back with DC Comics News episode number 42. First, there was the DC Comics News podcast. Then came... The Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I Am the night. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's DC. N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. And we're back from that ad break and really appreciate you sticking around with us for episode number 42 of the DC Comics News Podcast. You're back again with me, Seth Singleton, your host, and I'm joined today by Brad Felicki. Brad, we're hanging in, we're holding on, and we got a giant list of comics. You ready for this? I'm ready. (laughs) Well, the news (laughs) is good, so I'm right there with you. Let's dive in with the first one. 
And that's the announcement that DC's next big event is Hell Arisen, featuring Lex Luthor, apparently the Apex Lex, versus the Batman Who Laughs. Now, these are two of the newest versions of popular characters sort of facing off against each other. And it sounds like it's going to be a face-off that could be as popular as either the uh, Justice League, Justice Doom, or... or you know, Dark Knight's metal. Brad, what was your take on this announcement and what this could mean with these two characters squaring off? You know, I think Batman Who Laughs is is probably one of the most popular characters in terms of one of the recent characters that's been introduced that's had an impact in general, um, which is kind of cool to see that they that he people loved him so much they keep bringing him back. And the fact that this is going to... Um, bring together storylines that have been brewing for so long uh, since Dark Knight's Metal. Uh, Justice Doomore, like you were saying, and Superman, Batman, Infected, uh, and the whole Year of the Villain thing. I think um, I think this will be a pretty good payoff for people who've been paying attention to those storylines. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what happens. What do you think? Yeah, I kind of get a big kick. Now, this is going to be silly, but I remember this this sort of reference back around when uh, the 52 Weekly was going on, and they had introduced some new villains. And in a sort of, it was in one of the collected books, there's that great little collection of essays that the writers will include or artists will include about what they were doing or thinking during these big storylines. And the reason they had introduced this new sort of uh, villainous character in it, I can't think of her name, but she was sort of like spider-like. And they had a couple of really cool moments with her just being this like really evil presence. And the writer, I think they were talking to, said, yeah, you know, the problem was there wasn't as many like big bads in the universe. And I kind of felt like Darkseid had been passed around the office, like the office bong. And I thought that was just the silliest sort of quote. But just this idea of how, you know, you needed something new and fresh on the sort of villainy side, something to sort of scare people in a way that felt different than what you might experience with something intergalactic or universal like dark side or something on the street level like joker and i feel like batman who laughs has sort of really done that great thing of coming in and being that oh creepy scary evil bad so many possibilities and from the moment of his appearance in dark knight's metal you're right he just keeps popping back up he had his own miniseries recently He's part of this, you know, thing that led to the infection of these other heroes we're going to see soon. Mm. And he just keeps showing up in these ways where you're just like this. He doesn't die like he just doesn't die. And not only that, but whatever he makes a new appearance, you're, you're thinking to yourself. And now we get to see yet another version of evil incarnate. And I think it's just such a tasty little morsel for everybody that they're like, no, 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 no. I want to do something with this guy. We can't kill him off yet. I've got a story. (laughs) (laughs) And and how twisted he can make a character's life or um, get involved in that. The other thing that I just was curious about, I wanted to get your thoughts on is the, uh, the interview with James Tynan, who, you know, I mean, essentially it's him and Steve Epting uh, for the art who are going to be, uh, you know, responsible for this year, the villain Hell Arisen. Um, 
and how he is talking about how having a conversation with Scott Snyder, Josh Williamson, I mean, talk about two other big writers making moves in the DC market. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently those cars honking agree with me. <laughs> and and in, in addition to that, the idea that they were talking about how there was Dark Knight's Metal, and that was the big event then. But then there was going to be this huge map that came from that and how part of it was this Justice League story. I mean, Justice League is its own conversation we could get into I'm sure both of us for weeks on end about everything they've been doing with that, but how if they wanted to have that map at some point they had to include Lex Luthor. And that means these two squaring off. Was it kind of inevitable? Kind of like, uh, what's that great line from uh, red Dawn where they try and ask, why is it the U S and Russia and Soviet union are going to war? And the guys, the pilots like, Hey man, two biggest boys on the block. Like one of these days it's right. going to happen. Is that, yep. is that pretty much what happened with Lex Luthor and Batman who laughs? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think you, uh, once again, hit the nail on the head with that. That's exactly what, what the case is. Um, well, God bless and, <laughs> and, yeah. And it's, it's kind of cool because dark Knight of all these big events, so many times they can be written off a few months afterward. But the beauty of Dark Knight's metal is that it's really had a lasting effect and it still does and it still resonates. And that's kind of fun to see because I think that the DC Comics landscape has been really interesting story-wise since since metal happened. And the fact that it's going to take like a whole other big event is going to happen because of it. You know, still with the effects, it's it's kind of just proves the lasting, the you know, power of Dark Knight's metal. I agree, and in fact, it's it's why it's so easy to move right from this story we're talking about now into the announcement about Batman Superman number four coming out one week early. Now that's interesting because Batman Superman seems to have been created solely for the purpose of continuing the. Uh, Batman Who Laughs miniseries that just wrapped up and featured the idea of a popular DC character being infected at the end of that series and how it's now part of this sort of underlying plot and mystery that's behind Batman Superman, uh, at least numbers one and two. And and now it looks like we get a chance to talk about the fact that that title is going to be moving up a little bit early on the schedule, you know. Any initial responses to this announcement? One, have you been reading Batman Superman? Are you familiar with that? I, oh, God, I wish. Uh, <laughs> that is one that I will say, though, that it's funny. I, I was just thinking with these stories that are coming up this week that that feels like that's one that I'm definitely going to have to uh, catch up on. And in fact, I was thinking about maybe hitting the comic shop tomorrow and seeing what I could uh, could find for these back issues because um, I'm, I'm really curious. Uh, so... <laughs> The short answer is not yet, but I do plan to. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. um, It's sort of one of those things I end up reading because when I'm doing the spinner rack. uh, Right. To be something that I would sort of just pick a couple of titles that I thought would be good. But then I realized that was a terrible approach. If Instead, I should just read them all and then pick my favorites, which means I'm required to read every book that DC puts out every week. Yeah. (laughs) And some ways, it's hard, it's like man. It's hard. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. just trying to get caught up on reading everything and then go, oh, God, how do I pick, you know, my favorites now out of this list? Ugh. Um, so Batman Superman is one of those ones that I was sort of forced to read. But thankfully, the twisting of the arm was my own. So I was more than happy to do it. 
And um, it's been really interesting. I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are when you get a chance to stop by the shop, pick up an issue or two. I'm going to let you know right now, I buckled under pressure as soon as the guy said, oh, well, if you get both copies of number one, it's a you know side-by-side cover thing. And I was like, give me both. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I'm not proud. And I'm also you know, very comfortable saying, yeah, you just milked me right there with that story. So, um, <laughs> That's how they get you. Yeah, man, they, they they saw me coming a mile away. I had a big, big sort of red lettering on my forehead, and, and they just read that and went to town. Um, but I'm intrigued by the idea that of, of this change. I'm wondering if it might be in response to any of the other concurrent storylines going on that are dealing with this infection story and also how Batman Superman kind of ties into it as well. Um but other than that, I thought it was just an interesting development and a bit of a twist on the fact that so many of our stories have been about titles being pushed back. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's so refreshing to have a story where something's pushed forward for a change. Yeah, it's a nice shift, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> now, I think, you know, and I think at the end of the day, it really is about keeping the story going because it is so tied into what else is going on it's really hard to delay that especially when hell arisen is is coming down the pike too so it's almost like they didn't really have a choice if they wanted to keep the timing of everything else going yeah that's actually interesting because i'm looking over the announcement of the hell is risen and i don't see an actual date as i'm looking it over but I am aware of the fact that this is moving up early and that might be response to any of any of that sort of momentum that might be getting picked up. And clearly it's something they want to capitalize. I'm also intrigued by the fact that, you know, that this is sort of part of that, you know, that team that Tynan was talking about. We've got Josh Williamson writing Batman Superman number four. So it could be that his sort of inside knowledge on what they're trying to accomplish led to this decision to move up the date. It'll be interesting to find out a little bit down the road just how this all connected. Yeah. But on the uh, topic of change, there's an announcement that Vertigo's House of Whispers has an artist replacement. And DC has informed retailers that Matthew Dow Smith will be drawing October 9th, House of Whispers number 14, that Smith will be taking over for series artist Dominique Damo Stanton, and that Smith had done an unannounced fill-in on this week's House of Whispers number 13, uh, again, filling in for Stanton at that time. Um, they also point out, you know, just interestingly enough, that uh, Smith is one of the few current Sandman creators who worked on both this current era or as they call it new era as well as the previous era way back in 1996 and also had a four issue run on the uh, sandman mystery theater thoughts on this uh, announcement is this a title you're reading so it was something you were aware of or you know any other insights uh, like that brad or what uh, well well i think that um uh, you know i i just think is i'm okay with this as long as it keeps things on schedule uh, there comes a certain point where you can't keep pushing every single issue back. And we're to the point where the whole thing is getting kind of ridiculous. So if we have to uh, switch up artists for a little while to give the the main series artist a break and time to catch up on maybe future issues, that's fine. Because I think that when we've talked about this at length, too, is that the fact that it the more you push things back, the more it breaks the momentum. 
and I think that these these uh, Sandman universe titles do have a good momentum. So I'd rather see them replace the artist for an issue or two rather than push the story back. I think that's a really uh, great take on it. I I feel overall that you're right on the momentum. I mean, dead on with the momentum for these stories. I feel like there's been a, a great thread through them all, whether you're talking about uh, House of Whispers, The Dreaming, um, Sandman universe titles overall seem to be really aware of their pacing and how each story has its break at the end of the issue and how it picks it up. And that rhythm is really important. And we've seen how it's affected some other titles. And it seemed like more recently, the list had gotten even longer for titles that were having delays and pushbacks. So the announcement that they're replacing an artist, hopefully to address that issue. And also, I'm wondering if this might not also be a response to the fact that perhaps that artist was also working on other projects. It doesn't really state why this uh, change occurred and that now it looks like it's going to be permanent without any sort of announcement to where uh, Stanton is going to be going. And with that idea in mind, I wonder if there's a chance that Stanton's going to be, you know, got pulled away to help on other projects or if this, as you mentioned, was just a recognition of, hey, 13 issues in, take a breather, kid. Like, mm-hmm. you know, pull away, work on some other stuff, catch your breath, do whatever. Or this is just part of a thing where, hey, we're going to bring in a fresh arm and we might move you on some other projects or have you rotate or who knows what the uh, the behind the scenes. But it's interesting that it's the only thing that seems to be mentioned is the new artist coming on, not the reasons why the old artist is leaving or where they're going on to. You know, years ago, I lived with the comic book artist Jason Johnson. He's he did um, uh, Gen 13 and uh, the most recently the Knight Rider series. And I just remember how hard he struggled to stay on schedule. Uh, I mean, it was just he barely left the house. He was constantly, constantly drawing. And even with that, he found it hard to to make those deadlines. So I I totally see why sometimes that could be hard and why sometimes people need to get a little breathing room. Like wow. You're saying. So it's, yeah, that's a great I, insight. Yeah. Thanks for providing that. I think yeah. it might be hard for some people to be aware of just how much time is required in order to meet whatever the demands or deadlines are depending on how many projects you're involved in. Sounds like he was involved in at least one or two. And I remember Gen 13 being a pretty popular project that I feel might have had a spinoff or two uh, related to it. Uh, And if he was involved with any of those as well, that just seems to compound your your deadlines and also your kind of time consumption. So I think that really helps. It, It probably also points to the fact that if there's enough recognition of what the toll is, that hopefully this is a smart management decision, which says, hey, it's been about a year. Let's go ahead and, and give you a bit of a breather and let a fresh arm take over. I mean, hey, they do it in professional sports and in other trades and industries, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I was just sort of intrigued by that because actually I, I just read number 13 and I did take note of the fact that the art was different from what I had just seen in number 12. And House of Whispers has been telling a really interesting story about a pantheon of gods and um, sometimes going in close to a couple of those gods. And in that story, I was really intrigued that the setting, 
I thought it was maybe just a setting that had changed with the yard. Now I'm going to have to go back and look at the fact that they did this changeover on the yard team and how it's something I can look forward to for issue 14 and, and further on down the line. Uh, but I'm also just I, I love the idea that when they made this decision, the choice ended up being somebody who had worked on the previous uh Sandman universe, you know, that he had experience with the uh, titles back in 96 and, and also with the Sandman Mystery Theater. And I thought that was a really interesting choice. Like, hey, if we're going to bring in somebody to help out, let's bring in somebody who's done this before. Somebody who knows that style and tone mm -hmm. and right. so many of those elements to it so that it feels, you know, different, but so very similar that it's, you know, very easy for the reader to just continue along. Um, and that was a really smart decision, I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, talking about the fact that the past can sometimes find itself again in the present is this story. Boy, Josh, you were lining these up, kid. Nicely done to our editor for setting up this great sort of lineup of these stories. This story about Frank Miller returning to Dark Knight Returns. I feel like that was an important book in the 80s. Maybe someone out there knows whether I'm right or not. Brad, I, I think you agree with me, but Dark Knight Returns is bringing a new chapter to us now with the introduction of The Golden Child. Now, Eddie Murphy jokes aside, Brad, what was your take <laughs> on this announcement? I think that it's a good, like, it, it's, okay, first of all, he, he's the son of Wonder Woman and Superman, so how can you not want to revisit that character? I mean, what powers could that child possibly have with that, with those parents? What kind of upbringing, what kind of experience, and where would it lead to his future? And I, th I think that it, it's definitely a smart thing and almost a necessary thing to, to, return to a character like that to see what they have been been up to. Um, and I'm almost kind of bummed that it's only going to be a one-shot. I think that they could definitely fill a whole uh, miniseries with with an interesting story with this character. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to read it, but I kind of wish that it was longer than just one issue. What do you think? I, I'm intrigued. I'm curious. Did you read The Master Race? Yes, yes. And I didn't get a chance to. It's something that's on my list of stuff that I want to pick up and sit down with. But I missed when it was currently in like the process of release and it, it got ahead of me and then I fell behind. And I was curious if you could just with some insight, maybe talk a little bit about what we saw from Lara and what we could potentially see is different with Jonathan or uh, what we can maybe sort of anticipate just just based on how her story was told in the master race as it references here. Well, I, you know, I think that actually in the story, Miller himself sums it up by saying that Lara has so much power and passion. Uh, so for the little boy to embody all of the wisdom and intelligence of the Kryptonian race would be an exciting new dimension. Uh so he really sort of developed as a little floating Buddha. <laughs> uh, so someone who wasn't even a toddler was speaking in full sentences and things like that. So I, I think that 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 right there, like I was saying, I think that's a lot to to draw from as far as the stories you're able to tell. Uh, okay. 
I definitely feel like he's a cerebral approach. Um, yeah. And the idea of her being like the raw power and him being that sort right. of awareness or, uh, you know, very critical thinking approach. Exactly. Interesting. Well, I'm curious then also now to join you why it is uh, just a one shot. But I'm also wondering if maybe that one shot couldn't be enough to spin off into something else down the line if it ends up being popular enough with sales or uh, other sort of factors that might come into play. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think for sure. I think that Frank Miller's gotten more and more comfortable returning to that universe, the Dark Knight Returns universe, uh, that I think that that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, I'm also intrigued because it's interesting to now have the uh, the Golden Child occurring while we just had the chance to sort of see the development of the Superman from that universe in the recent uh, Superman Year One that Miller's been doing. And I'm intrigued that so much of this seems to be going to what appears to have been his most recognizable, successful work in The Dark Knight Returns and how so many of these stories that are now being told about that time are being told so many decades later um, seems like a really interesting decision to make but clearly a popular one just based on how many titles it seems to be bringing about after year one master race and now with the golden child i wonder what other stories could be on the horizon either the golden child and the story of jonathan in a series or maybe some other elements that were only touched on in the more recent master race I guess time will tell, but I'm sure. Yeah, I think, yeah, that and just how people respond maybe to the one shot because these characters are young enough that they can be the center of some stories for years to come. Maybe even taking the focus away from Bruce Wayne. So, yeah, I mean, I think that you might be onto something there. Well, that would be interesting. And also, I like the idea that we could see some of this story carry on with uh, Carrie Kelly. You know, this this interesting take on Robin, who was a lot of fun and who could, you know, be an interesting decision to, in whatever way it happens, carry on the mantle of Batman. Because as we keep showing with him, he's just getting older. (laughs) And, you know, time waits for no man. So, at some point, we're going to have to have that transition into this future, and it looks like we might be setting up a great char- cast of characters in which we could possibly do that. Um, for those of you looking to grab that one shot, Dark Knight Returns to Golden Child will hit shelves on December 11th. And I can honestly say that by the time Brad and I have finished discussing this, I've already made the decision to email my comic book shop and add this to my pull list so you can guarantee that should you want to know what i thought about it after december 11th i guarantee i'm gonna have some answers for you because i'll be reading it by then i'll have caught up on master race and maybe brad you and i can all have a great discussion about what this new chapter adds that discussion indeed (laughs) now the great thing about this sort of possibility that existed within Dark Knight Returns is all the things that you could do with that possibility. Another story that we get the chance to talk about here is a possible future story featuring Wonder Woman flashing forward to a dead earth, as the title is called, with uh, the Murder Falcon creator 
who gained just a bit of attention, otherwise known as Daniel Warren Johnson. What did you think about this announcement and this concept of Wonder Woman in a future that is so ominously titled Dead Earth? I I kind of have a soft spot for post-apocalyptic stories. Uh, I think putting Wonder Woman in a um, in a world after a nuclear war is kind of fascinating. And the fact that it's a black label book means that they don't have to pull any punches with the story. So that definitely makes me intrigued. I, I love what these writers are doing with these black label books, uh, you know, just letting their imagination run wild. I think that that's that can only lead to good things. Uh, so it seems like every time they announce one of these black label books, I'm like, oh, I got to put that on my pull list. I got I to gotta pick that up. And uh, and this one's kind of no different, although I will say that I'm not familiar with Murder Falcon, who uh, Daniel Warren, who's writing this, Daniel Warren Johnson uh, is writing and drawing this. He's the creator of Murder Falcon, which I've never read, so I'm not all that familiar with his work. So I don't know if you've ever read it or uh, if you had anything to say about that, but I was just not really familiar with that story. No, I I am not familiar either, and that's something that I wouldn't mind sort of looking into so that I can get and feel a little bit more informed about him and sort of what sort of approaches I can expect. But I do want to point to what you were just saying about the idea of what DC Black Label has been doing, whether it's the uh, upcoming Joker book or more recently, I've been really enjoying Last Night on Earth and its version of uh, three different timelines and a possible maybe post-apocalyptic future. And I'm a sucker for those two. I don't know if it's the Road Warrior, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome sort of thing, or the more recent Fury Road, or, uh, you know, Waterworld, or you name it. But anytime you show me that something bad happened and this is how we survive, Book of Eli, whatever, I get this concept of just like, okay, okay, so how did it happen and how do we make it work afterwards? And the idea of putting Diana in that scenario where, despite her mission of peace and the other humanitarian missions that she's taken on as a representative from Themyscira, that she's not able to prevent most of humankind dying in a nuclear war and now sort of continuing her noble duty to fight evil wherever she can in in this regards, the monsters that are apparently roaming the earth. And the freedom you mentioned is probably the one of the most exciting things. What they've been doing, I mean, the stuff that they've done in Last Night on Earth conceptually with different DC characters and the way they've warped and twisted them to such apocalyptic versions of themselves, I mean, for me, just raises a huge specter of possibilities for how you can take that same idea, whether it's humans or superheroes that survive this thing and the monsters they've become, or villains, no less, and how here's Wonder Woman just trying to figure out what the purpose of her existence is other than killing these things <laughs> and surviving in the process. Um, sounds like a great story and one that I agree I'm a sucker for. I'll put it on my list. And maybe I'll find some time like you to cut out some sleep and see just what this uh, murder Falcon's all about and how it can inform this uh, upcoming Wonder Woman story. However... There is at least one announcement that means that you can't just rush to the store if you were expecting something because sometimes delays still happen. And that announcement has most recently affected 
Swamp Thing Giant. Number two, which has now been announced to have been pushed back by about three weeks, originally solicited for November 27th. Its new release date is December 18th. Any thoughts on this one, Brad? I know it, it sort of follows up on that story, a couple of story topics back about, you know, with the uh, the replacement of an artist. And we can see now that there are still delays affecting DC titles. What's your take on the uh, Swamp Thing Giant number two and its three-week pushback? Oh, here we go with pushbacks again. Um, it's always a bummer. But at least with the giant issues, it's not a matter of momentum that you're using, uh, losing uh, because they're essentially reprints. And uh, there is one going to be a 24-page original lead story. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was something tied into that original story that's, that's leading to um, the, the pushback for three weeks. Um, I think we talked about this, and it might have been you who said that um, it's concerning when they push back something that's just reprints, but at least this does have an original story that might be part of that reason. Ah, but man, I just I wish that we could have a week where we don't have to talk about things being delayed. <laughs> I mean, really, when it comes right down to it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's my take. I just wish we didn't have to talk about things being delayed. Uh, what would uh, what'd you think? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is say that I think I might have mentioned something about the reprint issue, but I will say that I, I think last time it might have been Kelly who really pointed to her concern about that. Yeah. I think we were talking about the Booster Gold and the yeah, idea that, yeah, that it's supposed been. to be a collection yeah. of reprints. And I tried to get on the side of DC and be like, hey, maybe it's something about layouts or technology or transferring yeah, the yep, old yep. to new style. Because I do know that if you follow the history from the 80s into the 90s and even up until now, some of the transitions regarding the technology that was either tried and failed or tried and used and then eventually replaced doesn't always become compatible compatible with the newer versions and how you can sort of get the best version of that without just doing like a Xerox kind of thing. I'm not sure what that involves, but it is interesting that she had brought up that point about the booster gold. And now it's becoming uh, part of this conversation that we're having about Swamp Thing Giant. Now, I'm intrigued because in here it says that there's two news stories, which I thought there had only been one news story as well. Um, you've got the, the 24 page lead story. Um, and then also it looks like now I'm not sure which one. But you've got The Beat Goes On and then also Kind, which it says are, are both news stories. Um, so I, I'm sort of intrigued mm. how that might have come into play in addition to the reprints. But overall, it's just a surprise that if you have had enough reprints at some point, you would hopefully start identifying what the cause is. Uh, or not reprints, if you've had enough reschedules and you you have the chance to sort of recognize what a pattern of cause is, you can find a way to get ahead of it, I would think. But it seems like this is just something DC has not been able to get ahead of. And we're seeing it affect uh, new titles and even titles that have a combination of reprints and new. So while I agree that it's not affecting the momentum, it is interesting that we're still seeing its impact in so many other books and still wondering why, because sadly... No one's really telling us. <laughs> not and sure that's how part of the that. distressing part of it, too, is that we just don't know why it's happening. And yeah. when they don't tell us, we're 
we always assume the worst because if it wasn't such a bad thing, why would they just tell us? Agreed. And that's really why I think I've said as many times as I, I think I, I can realistically what I think is important for them to do regarding sharing information and having a, a lot of public disclosure. But right now, until they do that, all we can do is take a lot of these things at face value. And because we've got so many amazing comic stories still to talk about, we're going to take this opportunity to take our second break, finish up the rest of those ads, make sure you stay informed as loyal listeners to DC Comics News, the podcast, and all of the things we have currently available for you and coming up for you on the horizon. Thanks for sticking with us during that short break. We'll be back with the rest of our comic news. We promise there's plenty of more stories to tell and even a few surprises for the end of this episode. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be right back. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us, right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's DC. N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. And just like that, as promised, we've returned from our second ad break to pick up the final third of... DC Comics News Podcast number 42. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. I'm here with Brad Felicki. Brad, we're going to dive right in to an announcement that the Supergirl title is welcoming a, a new creative team this December. Essentially, with issue number 37, we will have writer Jody Hauser and artist Rachel Stott picking things up. What's your take on this one at face value? And interesting that it comes right after we've been talking about some of these delays and changes occurring within the different titles leading up to this. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a fan of Jody Hauser's work. I, I like what she's done. So I'm, I, I'll be interested to uh, read her take on the character. Uh, she has co-written it before. Uh, with Steve Orlando, but I'm kind of cur- um, curious about her her take on the character. And uh, I, I really don't know the backstory enough if this was something that they're trying to avoid delays or or what. But um, you know, face value, I I 
I'm a fan of Jodie Hauser, so I want to see what she does with the uh, character. Interesting, yeah. I love the fact that you brought up what was really important, which is that she had already been a part of the Supergirl title, uh, co-writing several issues with Steve Orlando, as it says here, back in 2018. And much like the uh, earlier Sandman universe story, this is uh, another instance in which the uh, at least one member of the team who's coming on to work on the title is someone who has experience working not only with this title, but with this character and has already shown a bit of work in a co-writing position. Curious to see now what she'll be able to do with uh, this um, solo writing responsibility and what we can potentially expect. But I think it's also an interesting point for it to happen because it looks like it's going to be picking up during the uh, crossover with the Superman-Batman infection storyline. And I think that could be a really interesting choice to set a new tone that's a little bit different from what they've had up until now, but also someone with the history to sort of recognize how that tone can be changed and yet take advantage of all of those things that, that were maybe written in or included story-wise before. So seems like a really smart move. I'm just curious, uh, you know, if there's any other reasonings in the background we just don't have enough information about to speak further on. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to other decisions that we really don't know as much or maybe enough about is the announcement that Deathstroke is going to end its title run with December's number 50. Um, It seems like Deathstroke had recently gone through a climactic change in his uh, title, and I thought maybe it was going to be the launch of so many more issues to come. Instead, we're going to be wrapping things up with number 50. Is this a surprise to you, Brad? Have you been reading Deathstroke? And do you have any sort of takes on this? Well, I think that it's it's interesting that this has been the longest running uh, DC title with the same writer since Rebirth. Um, I think that maybe then it is time for some fresh blood to come into it. I I definitely, especially with Deathstroke taking such a uh, playing such a big role in the second season of Titans. I would not be surprised if they don't start another series soon after. And maybe they kind of want to start fresh when maybe people who aren't as familiar with the character can can jump on board with something that they don't need to have a lot of continuity knowledge and things like that. So it seems it seems like it's probably a smart move. Well, I I can agree with that. You know, that's a great detail to point out. It's been Christopher Priest, or Priest as he's known, who has been the uh, writer from the beginning of this issue and will finish out that final number 50, as I tried to figure out how to say the words final and 50. And in that process, um, we've seen a lot of things that have, uh, have led to what appears to be some big cruxes, as this story points out whether it's the uh, death of Rose um, or I'm sorry, with his death and Rose taking up the costume, but then also this other version of him appearing and the event Leviathan sort of appearance, which if you're not reading that title, when he shows up is part of, you know, an interesting moment that I haven't really gotten into and I'm not going to go any further because I was kind of surprised that the story did 
But hey, if they're going to say it, I'm going to say it. Um, but I recently included Event Leviathan uh, in a Spinner Rack episode in which I held out that information. I thought to myself, interesting that they chose to include it. But that that sort of might be that opportunity to end this title, close this chapter, and pick up with a new team, especially after the current writer has put in his 50-issue due and could probably use a break or the chance to work on something new. Yeah. I mean, it's good. Of, no matter how good of a writer you have working on a comic, at some point, uh, it's inevitable that the story is going to uh, lose focus. Or I mean, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but um, it, it gets too familiar. And I think that that's when the fresh blood needs to come in. It's too. Um, too played out maybe the the ideas don't seem as fresh or the story kind of i, I don't know but I, I think that sometimes getting a new take on the character is a good thing after so many issues definitely and also the fact that if the point of this story was to tell a story of slade up to a certain point and that's been accomplished or if there's a desire to take that character in a different direction and you can make it work seamlessly, well, then let's close this chapter in his solo title and take him on whatever chapter of his journey is about to pick up from that point. Because clearly, with the addition of another Slade popping in, something is happening. And with the sort of involvement in Event Leviathan, it's something that's on a grander scale than the more personal missions that slade wilson has generally been involved in right so that could be really interesting sort of shift now yeah i was gonna say that even you know robert just changing the subject just slightly but robert kirkman you know there were times when he said oh i have years and years and years of walking dead stories to tell and then all of a sudden he realized i don't and then just decided to <laughs> pull the plug, you know, and I think that could be uh, kind of a similar situation here with Deathstroke. I agree. I really think there's an opportunity to sort of see when maybe all the things you thought you were working towards are something that in in a different light are, are not the best service to either the uh, fans of the story or to the characters and that making a different decision can maybe tighten things up instead of just dragging and drawing them out. No one likes when something hits 15 season and you're like, when do we end? Right. When? when? Because we've done everything and maybe some stuff we shouldn't have done. <laughs> yeah, so always it go out on a high note. Right. Leave them wanting more. Isn't that the same? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, interesting that we were talking about how this shift is occurring because the next story is appropriately titled shifting and it has to do with wonder woman number 83 being shifted to december in preparation for its 750th issue those things are kind of a big deal so i can understand how sometimes that might be a factor when it comes to scheduling what did you think about this announcement late november to december it doesn't feel like a big move but clearly it was important yeah, at least it's a little bit of a delay, not a big delay, and at least it's for a positive reason. And that's going to be a issue 750 that's probably going to be really fun to read. 
So, you know, thankfully for that. I think that they they know what they're doing. So, um, yeah, I, it makes me kind of excited to see what's going to happen in this 750th issue. What kind of special things do they have planned? I agree. It seems like it's a really smart strategic move, and it's always a great thing when you can make decisions based on the things you want to do instead of outside factors you forcing you to make a decision. So I really like the fact that they're able to say, hey, let's just go ahead and knock this back a little bit more, get ready for this 750th issue, and also you know, sort of keep in mind what's going to be happening you know, come January and how we want to make that connection work to our best advantage. Um, I think it's really great timing because in the current storyline, Wonder Woman is hitting her lowest low. If you've had a chance to read any of that title uh, more recently with the, uh, the story of Atlantiades, her mother and what the idea of love means to a warrior or the things we fight for, and that could be a really great um, storyline to sort of close things out with this concept, but also to sort of come to a really great high note with this 750th issue. It would be a high note for sure. Yeah. And I really feel like they've really focused a lot recently on the elements that have always been sort of at Diana's core, like her faith, her belief system and, and her kind of identity as Wonder Woman, as the emissary from Themyscira. And uh, those would all th- be things I think you'd want to highlight come with the uh, 750th issue and with the approach of the uh, sequel coming up soon as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Um, and keeping that in mind, of course, so many of these characters have been around for so long. It seems like what should be a secret or should be well known to everyone is still in many ways considered a secret. If you didn't know that Superman was Clark Kent, one, I'm sorry for providing that spoiler. It shouldn't have been me. It should instead have been the upcoming Lois Lane number seven and Superman number 18, in which it's announced that Bendis, Brian Michael Bendis, that is, and Greg Rucka are going to do the one thing Lex Luthor couldn't, and that is reveal the secret identity of Superman. Now, this isn't the first time Superman's identity has been made public. How often it's stayed public in the, uh, how shall we call it now, the O-Canon of Superman, especially with the boots and reboots and restarts that have occurred. But this announcement is made to feel very monumental, especially with so many of the things that have been happening to Superman's sort of public identity and how a lot of that has had to do with the really popular and recent Lois Lane title. Brad, have you been uh, keeping up with Superman and the Lois Lane title and also what this could all mean for this announcement? I uh, I just wonder if the world's going to be like, well, we should have seen that. How did we not notice this before? It was just the glasses. But, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the fact that it had happened before, because as I was reading the story, I was like, come on, that has had to have happened in the comics before. Um, and, you know, you were saying that it has, and, you know, it's kind of been for one reason or another erased from the continuity. 
And yeah, I think that, that the real question is, is how long is this going to take in the comics? Like how long is it, is that going to last before people forget it or, you know, something happens. Um, but the fact that they're kind of making a, a big announcement about it makes me think that it will have, it will stay that way for a while. And uh, I'm really curious what that's going to do for Lois because what we talked about earlier, heroes wear masks to protect their family. So she'll have a pretty big target on her back that maybe she didn't have before. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I'm intrigued by the fact that as you were, you know, mentioning that I glanced and even as recent as 2015 in Action Comics 41, uh, Lois puts two and two together and reports that she has Superman's secret identity. And that was considered at the time to, to be like a, a really big approach. This one, though, I note the story points out, suggests that Superman is actually making the decision on his own. And I find that to be an intriguing approach. What would be the moment when he decides, okay, I'm going to make this decision and I'm going to reveal it for my own reasons. It, it sort of maybe suggests that um, someone trying to kill her has something to do with this decision. And also that it's got something to do with concerns about the family and how he can best sort of confront that. But the process leading up to this decision for him to make it on his own, I find to be a really interesting decision. And as you pointed out, it looks like it's being built in such a way that it's going to have lasting implications. And that could be really interesting for the storytelling to come out, especially as it might tie into some of the stories we were just talking about, like Batman, Superman, the infection story, other things like that. Yeah. 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 There's a lot happening in the DC universe right now, for sure. (laughs) Well, change is popular. It's always a question whether or not change is good. And sometimes it's just a recognition that change is necessary. So easy to point to so many different changes occurring within the DC universe. How big this one will be will, of course, be something we can report back to you as it the sort of ripple effects continue throughout DC. But not all of the changes are as earth shattering as identity, but they are interesting reflections of changes that not only can we look forward to, but can define concepts in our mind. The idea of world's finest for me always meant Superman and Batman. It was just that sort of concept. Now DC comics will soon be releasing Batwoman Supergirl as world's finest in the DC Giants title line. I think this is a great move, especially considering the popularity of these characters, but you don't tune in just to listen to what I have to say. So let's take a little bit of feedback from Brad so we can have that more informed discussion. Brad, what's your thoughts, my friend? I think that it's uh, a very good time to have these two characters team up uh, considering the fact that Batwoman's TV show is debuting soon. Uh, and with the crossover within the TV shows, Batwoman will probably interact with Supergirl in some some way. So I think it's a good bit of synergy there to have these two characters interact. And I think it, it'll be an interesting dynamic because 
Supergirl, um, not exactly innocent, but very uh, bright might not be the right word, but um, very maybe optimistic. And Batwoman's much more of a kind of a darker, grittier character. So that that dynamic is always fun to explore. So it should be should be a fun read. I think so. I think you really touched on what will be one of the most compelling uh, factors, which will be seeing these two characters interact with each other. Um, so much of Kara has been informed by her relationship to Superman. And the way Superman views the world is very different from Batman. Batwoman didn't train or grow up in the shadow of Batman, and her journey to becoming Batwoman was... Uh, a series of events that have really shaped her thinking to a very similar and yet also completely different approach than Batman takes. And while it might be helpful for Carr to maybe consider the sort of thinking of Batman when it comes to interactions with Batwoman, in other aspects, it's going to be so completely different that they're going to have to create a foundation for their relationship based on understanding who each other is. is. And I'm sure... The same will be true for Batwoman, who might look at Kara as just, you know, another sort of over-the-top optimistic Superman version. And yet Kara has shown that she's got a little bit a little bit more of that fighter's edge to her. She's willing to tap into that anger more than Clark sometimes is. And because of that, we might get to see a slightly darker take on the concept of world's finest of which I am all in favor for and definitely looking forward to. So I think this is the title that uh, gives you plenty of reasons to be excited. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Now, if you're someone who likes to get excited when you're involved in the story, DC has the event for you. It's planning on hosting villain of the year fan award in which the winner of the award will be revealed in a comic book coming this December. I think this is really interesting. While it's a more appropriate approach than the reference 1988 Death in the Family concept in which people called in on a hotline to decide the fate of Robin, this decision is a little bit more on the positive take. Brad, what was your positive take? Uh, yeah, I think it's definitely more of a positive thing than voting on whether Robin dies. And I think, (laughs) I mean, not to harp on it, but I think that back then when they put that out for the vote, I think everybody knew what was going to be the outcome. I think everybody knew that people were going to vote for Robin to die. Um, so it's kind of, um, interesting that it's not something so maybe negative or something so even obvious to see what they uh, what they will choose um and it kind of gives dc an insight on what characters fans are responding to the best so that can help give them insight to what to do with certain characters going forward which i think uh, could be kind of an interesting thing I think so, too. I love the fact that they're sort of using the idea of Harley Quinn, who's done already this great job of breaking down fourth wall almost every issue, 
and <laughs> constantly yeah. just engaging like hi reader are you there isn't this stupid or isn't this silly or isn't this fun and then saying oh let's take a little extra meta where i'm going to read a comic book about myself so playing with this concept in a very vonnegetian way of uh you know who's telling the story and who's the star of the story and who are the characters uh, makes this a perfect place to sort of play with this idea I love, though, that they've actually got a web address titled DCVillainOfTheYear.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not just go on to DC Comics, you know, slash Year of the Villain contest. Go to the DCVillainOfTheYear.com website. That feels a little bit more in line with the hotline approach. But overall, I agree that, you know, most people will have a different approach to this question than they did with the hey, do you want to see a Robin character live or die? Well, considering we've never seen one die, what do you think people are going to say? Whether you like Jason Todd or not, the opportunity to tell an original story about a sidekick being killed off and having a role in that decision, sometimes we're a morbid society. Of course, that's a possibility and highly considered. From what I remember, at that time, people did not like Jason Todd at all. That they was did. like well-known... <laughs> Uh, leading up to the event that people just did not like him. Yeah. And it seemed like it was a, a choice that made it almost like a, you know, well, DC's not going to put the decision in their hands because they don't be want to be responsible for screwing up on how they get rid of them, but they will put it in the hands of the fans who they can then be like, like Hey man, this was your call. We just responded to it. And this is the story you got, mm-hmm. which was a bit of an out, that maybe wasn't the classiest way to go, but we all learn from our mistakes. And it's interesting that now, in some ways, Jason Todd is one of the more interesting characters who has a really prevalent role in so many different stories, whether it's more recently in Event Leviathan, in his own title, or ever since the sort of return of his character has meant ripple effects throughout you know dc and batman's universe um but who the year of the villain winner will be is something we can talk about later in december because right now there is an overwhelming abundance of cuteness happening in the other category of our new selection this is something that isn't movies or tvs or comic books but it is a byproduct of the influence of dc comics Folks, I'm talking about tubs. Tubs, wow. Tubs, I'm saying this, are a new rubber duck line. If you missed having one for your tub, Tubs is here to fill that need. Um, they're a new line of collectible cosplaying rubber ducks that include DC Comics characters like Batman, Robin, Joker, and Harley Quinn. Now, I was caught off guard by this concept. But Brad immediately keyed in on one of his favorite details. Brad, tell us what you like about this. I love the fact that the Batman duck is holding a batarang. <laughs> and <laughs> I love that the Harley Quinn duck has the big mallet slung over her shoulder. And that it has a little smiley face on it. <laughs> seems uh, Seems perfect. I love that if they include Harley Quinn, they're going to include that oversized mallet. And yeah, that batarang detail was brilliant. Now, they retail for $12.99. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know how many of those I will be buying or how popular, like the Funko Pops and others, they will become. And 
how or where to get them is still a bit of a mystery since there hasn't been a release date. But if you want to find out a little bit more, apparently the site The Nerdy has an entire list of the Tubbs product line, and it's not just DC Comics. So if you've got a favorite theme you're looking for, Tubbs just might have it. I really think I could try and say more about it, but overall, I feel like that's my limit when it comes to Tubbs and, as these call them, <laughs> cosplaying rubber ducks. <laughs> that okay by you, Nathan? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> All right. Shifting gears into our final story of episode number 42, the announcement that DC Universe Online will be entering the Dark Multiverse with Dark Knight's Metal Episodes. Uh, I don't play DC Universe Online. Maybe now I need to if I want to have the chance to maybe play uh, the Batman Who Laughs or one of these other amazing characters available. Is this a game you play? Are you familiar with what this might mean for the DC Universe Online community or gaming itself, Brad? Or well, if I, not, what's your take? I don't play it often, but I have played it, and it is a good game, and it's these things are it's cool with these free-to-play games that they can keep adding these contents this content into it and allow players to continue on you know their adventures within the game uh and i think this goes to show what i was saying before about how popular batman who laughs has become that they're now adding this into the dc universe online game seems like a character that kind of can't be stopped so that's kind of cool to see and i think that Play, like fans and people who play the game are going to enjoy it and now that it's going to be on the switch i think that that's going to broaden the audience who will get this content as well and i think it might bring people who maybe have gone through everything uh, a reason to come back to play the game again because of this new content so i think i think it's a, a win-win situation for everybody that's really interesting. Now, I'm going to be completely honest in my Luddite nature that I wasn't even aware that this was a free-to-play multiplayer game. I mean, I knew yeah. it was multiplayer. I just didn't know it was free-to-play. I yep. thought for a lot of these online MMOs, as they call them, multiplayer online, that you had to uh, give a credit card and buy a bunch of stuff and do all these different things in order to be relevant in any way. But it sounds like yeah, you the- just got to sign up. Yeah, there's transactions where you can, you know, you can improve your character, things like that. But overall, to get your feet wet in the game, it's it's free. Interesting. Well, I know that if you weren't interested before and the dark multiverse is something that catch your interest, this might be an interesting way to pick it up. I am curious if you played it a little bit. Maybe you can help me out with this concept of the episodes. Is this something where you have to play each episode in order to get up to number 35 so you have to go through one through 34 before you can experience this dark multiverse or is this something you can just jump in at any point and experience a chapter well yeah i think you have to build up your character to a certain level to be able to play the new content gotcha okay um yeah actually you know it's funny right as you were saying that i noticed that it said that um this part one episode 35 will feature uh, versions of content available to all players level 15 and up, which yeah. I guess maybe means that there's like a sort of level you have to reach before you're eligible to sort of participate. Yeah. 
Interesting. Um, well, I'm curious because even if I just want to check it out visually, it might be something I would really enjoy. And I love that this story ends with this great little announcement that you can actually view the episode on uh, live stream with the development team on the official DC Universe online YouTube channel and that the story gives a link to it. So if you want to check it out before you sign up or if you just want to see what it looks like, because it's not something you play, but it's still something you want to see. Go ahead and take a peek for that episode 35 on the DC Universe on my YouTube channel, and you'll get a chance to see for yourself just what this new edition means and whether or not you think it's as cool as a story makes it sound. And that, my friends, was our last story of DC Comics News, podcast episode number 42. I've been your host, Seth Singleton. I've been joined by the always brilliant Brad Felicki. Brad, if the people loved what you had to say, want to hear more, or just want to keep up with all the things related to you, what you do at DC Comics, and more, what's the best way for them to find you? Well, you can find me writing news and reviews on DC Comics News. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, FlickyB1. Uh, it's F-I-L-I-C-K-Y-B and the number one. Nice. And as far as me, your host, my name is Seth Singleton. You can find me by typing my name, Seth, my last name, Singleton, and the word story into a search engine. And then go ahead and pick the platform you like the most. When you do, leave me a message. And then I think we can enjoy a great conversation. When it comes to DC Comics news, it's available on all the major podcast platforms. So if you want to hear more, Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform and let us know that that's where you listen by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and then go ahead and giving us a shout out. If you want to make that something we get to see, choose your favorite social media platform, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube, and use the at symbol and DC Comics News. That's at capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N, E-W-S. You can also check back here to catch more episodes of DC Comics News Podcast. I am also available for the Spinner Rack, my weekly pick of my favorite DC Comics each and every week. And also look forward to the new series, I Am The Night, hosted by Steve J. Ray, featuring an episode-by-episode episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series. This has been the DC Comics News podcast episode number 42. We only have one final reminder, and that is to always read more comics. And that's where we're going to leave you. Thanks, folks. We've had fun. Look forward to joining you next time. See you soon. Thank you.